What's up, Park Hill? All right, so we're in John 1, John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of a money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. So good. Thank you, Christina. How are you all doing today? Oh my goodness, that time of worship. I thought that I was going to start levitating or something, like Peter Pan style, you know? Um, Thank you, Tanika. So beautiful. Hey, my name is Drew, and I'm one of the embedded church planters here at Park Hill. Um, You may be new and wondering what that means. That means that my family and I moved out here, my wife and I, along with our six lovely children at home, um, we came out here to be a part of what the Lord is doing at Park Hill with the intention of planting out of Park Hill in the next three to five years. So super exciting stuff. But while we are here, um, I have the joy of leading our worship and creative ministry. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a great time. We've been here since February. I started in January. And it's been so beautiful. And as Jake said, um, he's dating someone, so he's off the market. Um, Has nothing to do with the message, but I'm super proud of you. Yes. This is our month of Sabbath rest. And for us, practically, that means that there's just no extra stuff. We're simplifying a bit, even our communities are, some are taking breaks, some are vacationing together, some are meeting up occasionally this month to just eat meals and enjoy one another's company. A variety of ways that we are experiencing rest as a church. And one of those ways is that our lead pastors, Evan and Sandy Wickham, they are vacationing with their wonderful family for a few weeks. And so we have the opportunity to hear from some cool voices that are outside of Park Hill. Last week, you got to hear from Dave Lomas from Reality San Francisco. And then next week, we have Benji Horning from Light Church in Encinitas, an amazing guy. And then the following week, we have Todd Proctor from Alpha USA. If you've never heard of Alpha, it's this wonderful ministry this organization where where people really have the freedom to ask questions about faith. People who don't really believe in Jesus or have a relationship with Jesus coming to the table, a safe space to ask questions. And it's this beautiful thing. Todd will tell you more about it, but you're not gonna wanna miss Benji and Todd, so make sure to come back for the next couple weeks. But this week, as we're continuing this month of rest, 
We're going to be studying this passage that Christina just read. It's one of my favorite stories that honestly, I feel like I've kind of misunderstood throughout my life. And it's not a direct passage about rest, although I've heard it taught frequently, and I've probably even taught it through the lens of Mary being the sister that is it's experiencing rest at the feet of Jesus. But really my intention is that we would glean some things from this story that we can apply to our Sabbath rest. There are three main characters that we will be focusing on. In the story, we read about Mary and Martha, and we read about Judas at the end there. Maybe if you, like me, grew up in church, which some of you have not, so this may be a brand new story to you, and I'm so excited about that. But maybe if you grew up in the church, you've heard this story taught in such a way that it kind of villainizes Martha as this person who is just working a ton, Right? She's away from Jesus. She's this workaholic. And sometimes you just relate with that. You're like, oh, I'm just, this is a Martha week, you know? Just working my tail off, just Marthaing it, just all, all day long, you know? And all the while, you, you wish in your heart that you were more like Mary, this hippie who has nothing better to do except play with her essential oils and hang out with Jesus. <laughs> I don't, however, feel like this adequately expresses the, the context of what's happening in the story and some of the things that we will learn from it. It's much deeper, actually, than this. Um, the historical context, see, we, we have to remember as we're studying the scriptures that there is a historical context. We're not just reading this message to San Diego in 2021 Although the Spirit of God makes it applicable for us and, and it's life-giving to us, there's a context by which this story is actually happening and was lived out in the first century. So we need to take into account what relationships look like in history, what marriage relationships look like in history. And so there are some things about this story that are quite unique that I never really picked up on throughout my life and now kind of have this question, like, why is this happening? One of those things is that Martha appears to be the head of this household in the story. The way that John writes it, and even Luke, it, it makes it very clear that this is Martha's home. She's the head of this house, which would seem to imply that Martha is unmarried because in that time, that culture, if she was married, she would not be living with her sister and brother. She would be with her husband and with her family, right? The other thing is that Mary lives in this house with Martha, and it seems Lazarus, which also implies that Mary is unmarried because if she was married, she would be living with her husband and her family. And then along those same lines, Lazarus seems to be in this home as well, which means that he was probably unmarried because if he was married, he would live with his wife and his family. And beyond that, this story goes that, that Mary and Martha are inviting Jesus into this home to celebrate him, to honor him, because he just raised their brother from the dead after he was dead for four days in the grave. So they have this thank you dinner, inviting Jesus into their home. And if Lazarus was married, then it would seem that his family, his wife, would have been making preparations for his burial, not his sister Martha, which we read about in John chapter 11. 
So why are these three in this home? Something really fascinating, um, th this professor of New Testament sent over some really cool context about this time that this was written. And one of the things is that women in that culture, they married very young, like often between the ages of 12 and 14 years old, very young. And men married typically around the age of 18 to 20-ish. So this is speculation, but it's, it's a fair guess at what's happening here, considering the context of first century marriage relationships. But it would seem that Martha assumes the role of leader in this home because she's the oldest sibling. She's the oldest sibling, she is unmarried, and it seems like she is taking care of her younger sister and her younger brother, and both of them were probably younger than marrying age. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this story growing up, I always thought of Lazarus as this man. I thought he was this older dude. That's just the way that I read it. Partially, that's because scripture says there was a man named Lazarus. And that's kind of just a translation thing, really. It's like there's this guy named Lazarus. There was someone named Lazarus. Um, it doesn't specify that it was a man or his age. So the context, like reading this story through this lens now, thinking of Martha as being kind of this motherly figure to her younger siblings who could have experienced all kinds of different things, I hope that this gives us a little more context to be more fair really towards Martha, who I always just thought, well, she got it wrong and Mary got it right that we would be a little bit more gracious and really find ourselves in these two sisters because I believe that there is a contrast, that there's a clear contrast in this story, but I don't think that it's really the contrast of Mary and Martha as much as it is the sisters on one side and Judas Iscariot on the other. And we'll talk about this more at the end. The reason being, Judas was somebody who walked with Jesus every day. He was a disciple of Christ, handpicked, one of the 12. And he displays the wrong critical heart here at the end of the story. Meanwhile, Mary and Martha, who are also disciples of Jesus, we know this because in John 11, they call him rabbi. They call him teacher. They had learned from this guy. They had been people who had sat at his feet learning from the teacher Jesus. And they knew that he was Messiah. They knew that he raised their brother from the dead after four days. So there's a lot going on in their hearts. And so we're building this contrast of what I want to call today, because it applies to us, a restful response. Okay, these women, they give this restful response. That's actually the title of this talk. So if you are taking notes today, we're gonna have a few points for you to write down. And that's the first, that, that we, as we Sabbath, as we rest, are called to a restful response. We practice Sabbath because it's something that was implemented, instituted by Yahweh himself. After creating, he saw that it was good and he rested, setting this pattern into motion of rest for us that we would experience enjoyment in God and restfully respond to who he is. And I believe that with Martha and Mary, we're going to be able to take some things that we can practically implement into our own lives. It's a lot of background. You guys doing okay? 
Did I lose you? You're like, man, I just wanted some coffee and donuts, and instead there's a bunch of history stuff. But we're going to jump back into our text. The first two verses, all right? John 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom he had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So this is one of those really cool times in scripture where we're actually invited into a party. We're invited to, to be a fly on the wall as this party is taking place to celebrate Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, who works this miraculous thing by raising Lazarus from the dead. If you know the story in John chapter 11, we get the context of that, what actually happened. And it looked like Mary and Martha, actually really Martha first, approaching Rabbi Jesus saying, if you had been here just a few days earlier, our brother would still be alive. She displayed faith. That was not her doubting. That was saying, Jesus, if you were here, you would have been able to heal him because that's who you are. So she, Martha, a disciple of Jesus, had faith in who he was to her. And then he does something even better than that. He resurrects this brother from the grave after four days. And so Mary and Martha invite Jesus into this home as a response to who he is, who he had been to them. The first thing that I want to point out about this text and our restful response to who Christ is to us is that a restful response should start with an acknowledgement of the presence of God. A restful response should start with, it should begin with an acknowledgement of the presence of God. Jesus, he bore the name Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. Jesus died, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and poured out his spirit on us so that we could be sure that God is with us. Every moment of every day, even the times where you feel most alone, if you are following the way of Christ, Romans 8, Paul would tell us that if we belong to him, his spirit indwells us. The spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You're never alone. So rest, a restful response begins with acknowledging you are here. Speaking personally on this topic of Sabbath rest, my wife and I were, were talking about this. We are really new to this, like brand new, like brand new Sabbath partakers, <laughs> baby Sabbathers, that's us. Like I've had days off here and there, you know, a day off, two days off, a week, and I've never been intentional up until this year I'm 30 years old. I've never been intentional. Our family has never been intentional about actually practicing Sabbath rest until this year. Had days off, filled them with other things. And now 
we're actually, as a family, acknowledging the presence of God, praising him for what he had done this week, and making a moment to give him thanks and to acknowledge you are here. This is because of you. It's all because of you. It's all for you. And if we don't acknowledge God with us, then we can kind of use days off at moments off in vain. If we're doing it without the Lord as the center of it, the reason why, then we could still feel empty all the time. Have you experienced that before? You're like, I have days off. I know how to rest. I know how to watch Netflix. I know how to binge things or whatever. But if we're not inviting him into that process, we're missing out on that true Sabbath rest that was modeled for us throughout scripture, throughout the Old Testament, and in the life of Jesus as he got away to make room to make time for just him and the Father. It's so important that we acknowledge the presence of God. And as you're here, maybe you're like, oh, that's really cool. You get to practice Sabbath. You get a day off every week. I work multiple jobs and have school full time. Things never turn off for me. So how am I supposed to practice this rest? I understand that we all have different schedules, different things going on in life. And so this is not to make you feel like you're excluded from this rest, but my prayer is that through these points, we're able to actually take them for every moment of the day, that we would be able to be mindful of these things and experience rest even in the midst of our work. We have a little break from work. We have a little break from school. Taking a breather and being aware of the presence of God. We sing it all, all the time inside the building. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. But how often, how frequently are we praying that prayer outside of these walls throughout the week when we feel depleted, when we feel like we have no energy, when we feel like we don't have the ability to respond graciously, when we feel like we can't love those who have hurt us, when we are pouring and pouring and pouring out, how can we expect to look and love like Jesus if we're not tapping into the spirit that led him into those types of responses? But we have the ability. It's good news. God is with us. So a restful response begins with an acknowledgement of the presence of God. And as we look at this story, as we are invited through scripture into the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, we see this beautiful prophetic display of worship. It's a worship for the already and the not yet. And this may be a very ambiguous term for you. You're like, already, not yet. I hear people talk about it. What does this mean? I'm gonna give you this very brief definition of this, all right? This is a theological reference to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already because it was inaugurated when Jesus ascended and was glorified and exalted to the right hand of the Father. When Jesus sat down on the, the throne at the right hand of the Father, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. And so we are a people of the kingdom. 
We have faith in him. That, that word for faith in the New Testament is pistis. The word faith is allegiance to him. It is our loyalty to the saving King Jesus. So we are living under the rule and reign of the kingdom of God in the already because Christ is exalted. But the kingdom is not yet because his kingdom has not fully been ushered in and that will not fully take place until that age to come where his throne comes to the earth and we are with him forever upon the earth in this perfect setting where there is no more sin, there is no more pain, there is no more suffering. And we, his people, his image-bearing covenant partners, get to fulfill his plan for us since the Garden of Eden. We get to live with him perfectly united for the rest of eternity. So the kingdom is already and it's not yet. And so as we talk about this throughout this teaching, be mindful that that those words apply to us now in the sense that Jesus has done things for us in our lives and we praise him for that. And we have hope for what's coming. We have hope for the, the things that are going to happen in the future when he brings his kingdom fully here. And I believe that we see this response in Martha and in Mary. We see Martha serving Jesus for the already, for what he had done, for who he was to them. And we see this prophetic thing happening where Mary is worshiping and responding for the not yet, what Jesus will do. So let's look at this together. Martha, in this already worship, In Luke's account of this story, we get a bit more context about what is happening in the home and what Martha was doing during this portion of the gathering. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we read, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Again, Luke notes here that that Martha is inviting him into her home implying that she is the primary host. In verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. It's likely here that this is referring to Mary assuming the role of disciple sitting at his feet listening to the words of Jesus as he was speaking. This is what happened in those days. Students would be considered those who sat at the feet of the rabbi to learn. And so it's not just that that Mary is like weird compared to everyone else in the home and she's just this one person at the feet. She's assuming the role of disciple there as she probably had before. She's sitting at the feet and it just seemed like not the right time to do it in Martha's mind. And we read about that in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, again, the historic context of this passage gives us more of the reason why Martha cared so much about the preparations that were being made for Jesus. Because she had invited him into her home to be the guest to celebrate him. And she wanted everything to be great for him using this gift of hospitality. 
You know what that's like. I know what that's like. I grew up in a home with a lovely Italian mom who loved to have everything right as she practiced her gift of hospitality. As we had all 973 of my aunts and uncles and cousins into our 1,100 square foot home, things needed to be just perfect. And actually this word in Greek for preparations It can be translated and is translated in the rest of the New Testament as ministry or serving. She's not just preparing things amiss. She is ministering. She is serving. This is the same word we we find in Acts regarding the deacons, the early deacons of the church who were serving. So she is ministering to Jesus. She's properly responding to Jesus. And I believe because of the context that we talked about, she's got this real motherly heart for her sister. And I don't think that she's saying this from the wrong heart. Like, tell Mary to get in here and help me. I need to get things done. She's saying this because it was right in that time, according to culture, for women to be preparing and hosting in this way, not to be sitting at the feet of the rabbi. It was very countercultural for Jesus to be even speaking to the women in this way as disciples, the same way that he spoke to men. And so in this setting, she's allowing for the cultural context to influence the way that she is communicating to Jesus about her sister. Like Mary needs to be raised up in this. She needs to know how to serve in this way. She needs to do what's right because this is the role of the woman here. This is our ministry. This is what we're supposed to do. And Jesus responds so beautifully. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. It will not be taken from her. This role of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus spoke Martha's name twice. And when we see that throughout the Bible, it shows us that this is a life-altering moment. This is what Jesus intended by speaking her name twice. He's not speaking in a harsh tone. He's He's not rebuking her in this harsh way. He's speaking to her as somebody that he loves and cares for and is teaching. This is a teaching moment. In this ironic turn of events, Mary is the one at the feet of Jesus, assuming the role of disciple. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to make you a disciple right now. Listen to this. Martha, Martha, hear this. And you can, you can hear the, the tenderness, the love, the fatherly tone in Jesus' voice as he's speaking to Martha. One thing about the way that Martha was serving that I think it's very important for us to apply to the way that we serve. And this is not an accusation against Martha, but we can all get to this place. We must not allow our service to lead us to a place where our backs are facing the object of our affection. It happens so quickly, so easily. When we're like, I'm doing this thing for the Lord. I'm doing all these great things for the Lord. All the while, he's just like, sit and listen. Spend time with me. Such an important 
lesson. We can keep doing things for the Lord without keeping our focus on why we're doing it. But if Martha had become disobedient to Jesus's invitation by ignoring him and continuing to work instead of being with him, then perhaps she would fit more of the caricature that we've all heard or we've probably heard about her. But I don't think that we should read it that way in this story. We shouldn't assume that Martha became defiant, especially because what we know of her up until this point shows her as being a faithful disciple who was using her gift in hospitality to ensure that Jesus was properly celebrated. So practically, again, our restful response should start with an acknowledgement of the presence of God because that's what fueled Martha's service. The Christ, the Messiah, the one who raised our brother from the dead is coming into this home. Emmanuel, God with us. She was aware that Jesus was in this place and that fueled her ministry. So it starts with an acknowledgement of the presence of God. And second, a restful response should celebrate what Jesus has already done. It should celebrate what Jesus has already done. See, this party in Luke 10 and, and John 12, it was initially a direct response to who Jesus was in that moment, the Christ, and what he had done, raising their brother from the dead. Martha was celebrating and serving and worshiping because of practically what Jesus had done. This is just a thank you celebration. Maybe you've experienced that. Somebody does something really kind for you. I don't know if anyone's raised your brother from the dead. That'd be super cool, but you'd for sure want to get that person some Chick-fil-A or whatever. You experience fellowship at the table together with those that you are grateful for. And this is what's happening here. When we Sabbath, we do it again because it's something that was given to us by God himself. It's a very practical way to rest in him, to be sustained in him. We should celebrate Jesus for the already, just like Martha did, inviting him into the home. And I encourage you to be intentional about this, to be mindful of this. Who has he been to me? Maybe you could even ask yourself right now, if I'm responding from a place of already and who Christ has been, what comes to mind? Do I think about the creation accounts? Do I think about God's plan for us all to be in perfect union with him? something that he instituted in the garden, something that was broken at the fall, something that was regained and restored because of Christ's sacrifice. Are we grateful for salvation? Are we grateful for family? Who, who is the Messiah to you and what has he done that would cause you to invite him in? Give us a greater awareness of your presence because we wanna celebrate you for the already. If all he ever did was what he's already done, it's more than enough. But we have hope that there's even more, which should lead us to this constant place of worship. 
this constant place of restful response. Then we pick up again in verse three. Verse three of John 12, looking at Mary in this not yet response. It says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, these herbs being poured out were specifically the right things to be used to anoint a body for burial. That's what happened in that culture, in that time in history. First century burials, you prepare all of these herbs, like 70 pounds to be wrapped around a body as they were buried. And this is the exact recipe that she is using to pour out on Jesus' feet in this moment. In fact, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, remember from John chapter three, John chapter three, verse 16, one of our favorite verses, he was speaking to this guy, Nicodemus. Nicodemus ends up being the one who would go and anoint the body of Jesus after he died. When he was buried, Nicodemus, he pours out these types of oils and fragrances on the body of Christ when he dies. But here we see Mary pouring them out right now before Jesus died, while he was there in their midst. But why? Why did she do this? My inclination is to believe that she was listening to Jesus and that she gained some knowledge, even prophetically, that she gained some knowledge about what was going to take place. We, we see, we read stories of Jesus talking about what was going to happen. You know, like, like Jonah in the belly of the, the fish, I'm going to be in the grave. Like the son of man is going to be in the grave. He gave all these signs and indications. I think that Mary listened. She listened to what Jesus spoke and she wanted this moment to celebrate him. The thing is, I don't even believe necessarily that, that this was only a foreshadowing of Jesus' death and burial, but I think that this was also the aroma of resurrection. The aroma that filled that house was the same aroma that Jesus would carry when he would reveal himself to the, to the women and then to the, the disciples, the other disciples, when he was resurrected. The aroma of resurrection filled that house and they were unaware of how special and beautiful this moment was. But Jesus wasn't. He wasn't unaware of it. So he honored her for it. Perhaps Mary poured this out because she knew that she wouldn't be able to do it again after he died and resurrected. You know, the, the first people that Jesus showed himself to were the women who went to the tomb to anoint him. That's what they were going to do. That third day when Jesus resurrected, the women were on their way to the tomb to anoint his body a second time. Perhaps she was just doing this now because she knew that there wouldn't be the opportunity to do it a second time. So she's pouring out this adoration, this costly perfume at the feet of Jesus. She's worshiping him for the not yet. She's worshiping him for what is going to happen. 
a little side note on this. We have the opportunity in our worship, in our sacrificial displays of worship, like again, just honoring those who went up to the Royal Family Kids Camp this past week. They lived out their royalty as daughters and sons of God as they served selflessly. They lived out the way that Jesus lived, pouring out their worship in in self-sacrificial love to children. And they came back smelling like Jesus, looking like Jesus. This aroma that filled the house in this story was the fragrance of worship, and it's all over those. I mean, we saw Tanika leading in worship, taking us places that we haven't gone in a long time or maybe never, wearing the aroma, the fragrance of praise because of the way that it filled that place up at camp. We get to carry that aroma. In the story, this aroma of resurrection, we get to, to carry that aroma of worship into the world as we go outside these walls. It's a beautiful thing that we get to live out and carry. So again, a restful response should start with an acknowledgement of the presence of God. Second, a restful response should celebrate what Jesus has already done. And third, a restful response should celebrate the not yet, what Jesus will do. She worshiped. She worshiped him for that not yet. And it's the same thing that we should be doing in our relationship with Jesus because we have a hope of the things to come. We have practically, we have a hope that our king, our reigning king, saving Jesus, that he will return, that all things will be restored and renewed, that the wrongs will be made right and that his throne, his kingdom will fully come to earth and that we will be with him. All the things that we dislike about this earth, all the things that we dislike about pain and the sin and the the results of fall will be done away with. One of those things being death. You know, we, when we say that we are Christians, we are admitting are following Christ into death. Death is a part, a result of the fall. We follow practically, it's, it's inevitable. Death comes as a result of the fall. But more importantly, we follow him into resurrection. There's a day coming when we will be resurrected. We will have life eternal in him, in our new spirit bodies. Just like Jesus was resurrected, we will be resurrected like him. We follow him into that. That is the hope that we have. And hear this today. Our hope should shape our worship just as much, if not more, than what we've already seen take place. Our hope should shape our worship. We're praising God not just for the already, not just for the ways that he showed up already, but we're praising him because we hope and we trust and we have faith and allegiance to our King who is returning, who will raise us again by the power of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Let hope shape our restful response. And then finally, we'll look at what I believe is the greatest contrast in this passage, the sisters, Martha and Mary, and Judas. Let's continue reading in verse four. 
We'll read four through eight. He says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. So this is when Mary is pouring out this, this fragrance, this aroma. He objected. He said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Jesus responds in verse seven, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Notice right away here, that Judas's criticism of Mary's worship masquerades as a desire for justice. Shouldn't this be given to the poor? Like this is the Jesus thing, this is the Jesus way. Righting the wrongs of, of society in that time, this is what you're doing, you're giving to the poor, you're benevolent. Let's do that, let's not waste this. All the while, He's driven by his own desire, not by the goodness of God. Judas, again, being, being this one that spent the most time with Jesus compared to these women, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he called his disciples, Judas being there day in and day out, he did not restfully respond to the goodness of God. He did not restfully respond to what he had seen Jesus do but instead he was given to the desires of his heart that led him to sinful action. He made this claim about the money being given to the poor, but his criticism was rooted in unrighteousness. See, true justice is something that Jesus will fully usher in when he returns. It's, it's fullness will be complete in the not yet but the already calls us as those who live under the, the kingdom leadership and reign of our saving King Jesus, the already calls us to do our part in bringing his justice to the earth through our kingdom living. But it must always be rooted in the things that Jesus speaks. And it must always be a response to who Jesus revealed himself to be. Our desire for justice can never replace or come before our adoration for Jesus because he is the source of righting wrongs. So we follow his way into that. So G Judas is rebuked by Jesus because he is led by his desires. This is our fourth and final point. A restful response should be motivated by his goodness, not our own desires. A restful response should be motivated by his goodness, not our own desires. So when looking at Martha and Mary, like mentioned before, we often hear of them as the one who worked a lot and the one who was spending time with Jesus at his feet. I've even at times thought of Martha as the one who's doing all of the difficult behind the scenes work while Mary is just there, just learning from Jesus, soaking in everything that she can. But I don't believe that is the entire point of this passage. This is not a story for us to exalt one sister while putting the other one down, 
because both of them responded to Jesus in beautiful and appropriate ways. Both served self-sacrificially. Both of their acts of worship were costly. And both of these women were loved and valued and empowered by Jesus. It's significant though, the way that this story concludes with Judas's response. Because he walked with Jesus so long, he saw every miracle that he did and still was fueled by his own desires. And no matter what we do to serve Jesus, we have the ability by the spirit of God to do things with the right motives, but we can also be given to the wrong motives so quickly in anything we do. Serving in the body of Christ, singing alone in the shower, and you're like, dang, I sound so good right now. (laughs) We can be given to good or bad motives in anything we do. I mean, really, The response of Martha, the response of Mary, the response of Judas even, any of those things could have happened from right or wrong motives. Judas, I mean, I guess this is theologically debatable, but being a disciple of Jesus had the ability to applaud their sacrificial displays of worship instead of being driven by his own desires. Mary and Martha in their service could have done those things with bad hearts. Mary could have been at the feet like, look at me, guys. Check this out. Do you see how much oil I just poured out? That's a lot. It's enough for three and a half bodies. No, they they did this from pure motives, responding to who Christ had been and who he was going to continue to be to them. We must be cautious to never exalt the things that we do in our own hearts. Like you're you're looking at other people's displays of worship and you're like, oh, mine is so much better. I gave so much more. I did this or that. Because then we give into this model of Judas instead of these models that we see in these women serving from the right heart. And this is not to condemn. This is to say right here, right now, we have the ability to ask the Lord to correct that thinking so that we serve and we restfully respond with pure hearts before him. So today we've talked a lot about responding with rest. But the reality is in order to respond, we must first experience To respond to something, we must first experience something. And this leaves us with a big question. How many of you experience Jesus in a way that leads to your restful response? How have you experienced his goodness? Have you made room and time to really experience the goodness of God? Or are you pulled in every direction, kind of aimlessly resting when you can and not inviting him into the process? Does your restful response begin with an acknowledgement of his presence? 
Does your restful response celebrate him for who he's been? Does your restful response celebrate who he's going to be and that hope that we have? And is your restful response fueled by, driven by the goodness of God instead of your own desires? This starts with an experience. And I'm gonna invite the the worship team up right now. Maybe it's been a while since you've let your guard down enough to really experience the presence of God. Let me encourage you as we make our way into this time of worship, after as we make our way to the table, take a moment to intentionally experience the presence of God in this place. He's spoken things to your heart today. And just think about how much he loves you to do that. The spirit of the living God speaks to you. Your heavenly father speaks to you because he loves you. The spirit is called our helper because he helps us in seasons where we feel like we have nothing. And maybe that's you today. You feel like you're just at the end of yourself. I've got nothing to give. How can I keep pouring out? One essential thing that we learn from the model of Mary at the feet is that she's pouring out as a response to being filled by the words that Jesus was speaking. He's speaking over her and she is overflowing, pouring out onto his feet. We don't need to be, and it's, got, it's not God's intention for us to be in this place where we're pouring out with be, without being refilled by him. He wants to refill us constantly, consistently, so that the overflow of that experience is our service, is our worship. So take this as an opportunity. As we sing this next song, Take it as an opportunity, a moment to be refilled. Ask him, pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Refill me. I'm empty. I feel like I have nothing, but I believe that you have all things. James tells us that the fervent prayer, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Let's pray in faith today that we would experience the goodness of God, not just now, but throughout this week, and that we would learn to restfully respond to who he is. So as we spend time worshiping this next song, if you feel like you need to stand, if you feel like you need to sit, there's freedom in this place for you to practice a posture of restful response to the God who has done great things and will continue to do great things. Let's allow for that hope to shape our worship in this time.